0: Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Oh, Captain, my Captain. I'm telling you straight, to my way or
1: the highway.
0: Oh, command me, Lord. Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts.
1: Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound.
0: I'll have what she's having. You have chosen wisely. It reminds us of all that once was good.
1: And it could be again. Okay. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious You're listening to the 30 Something Movie Podcast. Classic movies, 30 years in the making. Hello and welcome to the 30-something movie podcast. Uh, This time around, we we don't have a movie to talk about. Well, actually, we may end up talking about several movies, but uh, we actually have an author uh, that is here tonight, author and speaker, Kevin Smokler, um, who has graciously accepted an invitation to come on the show. Um, So, Kevin, thank you so much for being here.
0: Oh John it's my pleasure. This is like my favorite thing in the world to do. So <laughs> so thanks for inviting me.
1: Well it's funny we have a listener of our show also follows you on Facebook and Twitter and I think they had mentioned our show to you and I think at one point you thought you'd already been on the show.
0: <laughs> yeah there's a good I mean there's there's a an absolute Bumper crop, like an embarrassment yep. of riches, of great podcasts about movies from the past, and um, and unfortunately the names are all too similar. You know, right. so so if you're in the course of book touring and you're on like the flashback movie podcast, but also the like '80s flashback movie podcast, um, you start to lose track of of which one it is. That, that that makes me sound like a horribly arrogant person who just spends his days hopping around and listening to people talk about the things he does, but. Um, no it was it was actually an honest yet embarrassing mistake, but I'm glad we rectified it
1: I, not embarrassing for us because we got you on the show so <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm glad it worked out and it worked uh, out and and I dig the concept of your program so yeah. i'm I'm interested to hear where we take this
1: yeah yeah, thank you yeah it and it was kind of funny we we started the show about four years ago and um, most of the guys that, that are on the podcast together, we all teach at the same school. There's, there's one guy that works one other place, but no kidding. we're all teachers. We used to just hang out during our lunch period in the teacher's lounge. And while everybody else is complaining about the kids, we're all sitting there and we're talking about, you know what? I, I think ghostbusters might be the best movie of 1984. No, no, no. You're crazy. We just... <laughs> and, and we were, we were just kind of the nerd table that the rest of the teachers would ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, while they're trying to have their their salad and their, their vitamin water and and complain about the kids and and uh, we're over there you know debating which of the Ghostbusters is best and what's your favorite horror movie and all that stuff so so we just kind of we kind of decided you know what we had talked a little bit about uh, starting a podcast and we said ah eh, why not and uh, we realized I think we had we'd been talking so much back in um, it was probably about 2015 we'd been talking so much about how many great movies there were in 1984 and
0: 1985 so we're like yeah man
1: perfect concept let's do one where we every year we go in and we look at stuff that's reaching its 30th anniversary so it's been a lot of fun it's been a lot of fun and
0: Uh, you guys were meant to find each other
1: it sounds like yeah (laughs) but you're right there is an overabundance of movie podcasts much less 80s movies podcasts so
0: Uh, I'd be out of a job if there wasn't so (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you guys are you guys exist
1: absolutely Absolutely. Um, well for the, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, um, at the start of every episode, I do let the listeners know that we are a spoiler podcast. So if we start to talk about a movie, if you hear the name of a movie and you're like, I haven't seen it yet, I don't want to hear anything about it. Then you may want to skip ahead just a little bit on uh, your podcast player. Um, Because we will, we we let the spoilers flow. So I think most of the movies that we end up talking about, they've been around for quite a while. So if you haven't seen them yet, maybe this is your way of of getting introduced to it. And uh, we'll try not to ruin too much for you. But just be aware that if we start to talk about a movie, if we mention a title, it's uh, everything is is open and fair game. So just be listeners, be aware of that. If you have not left us a review on iTunes, uh, if you've listened to the show before and if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. That would be great. So uh, we kind of have a sense of of what you're enjoying about the show and it's just a great way to to let us know um you know what we're doing right and if we're doing something wrong let us know that too. That's totally cool. Uh and then finally visit our website, 30podcast.com. Uh is a great way to get to all of our social media spots and and uh and then Kevin we'll we'll mention yours at the end of the show so folks that are listening can go find you if they haven't uh found your your Twitter and your website and, and all that other stuff. So we'll get them pointed in your direction as well. Superb. Awesome. So usually kind of one of the ways we start out the show is we kind of look at any of our Uh, social media interactions we've had before we jump into uh, what we're talking about. We do a little movie news, if we've got any. Um, And so uh, the only thing that really has come up is uh, something that has come up within the last few days, and it kind of blends the news and the social media stuff together. Uh, We've had some of our followers, and I think they're all friends with each other outside of um, maybe listening to the show. Uh, They've gotten into a little bit of a debate over Zack Snyder coming out and saying that Ben Affleck is the best Batman. Hmm. So I don't, had had you heard this? Did you, have you weighed in on this at all? Do you care?
0: No, um, I don't care. And it doesn't surprise me because, because Zack Snyder seems to live on, on sort of a, a a, a volume setting much larger than the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's indicative in his movies and, um, and uh, it's, uh, and it's indicative in some of the crazy things he says. Um, He did make a great, didn't he make that, he made that fantastic documentary about the Atari though, right?
1: I believe so, yeah. This, I, I do like, you know, I, I, I enjoyed Man of Steel, you know, thinking of some of his movies that he's made. I I enjoyed uh, 300, I enjoyed Man of Steel, and then it just kind of, things seemed to go a little off the rails uh, once we got past that point.
0: Yeah, like I, I don't, I, I can't say I'm too invested in who is the best Batman and who isn't, because I I, I feel like the Batman franchise kind of, kind of rises and falls based on its villains. Mm -hmm. Um, Batman is Batman is, I mean, there are different ways of doing it. You know, Adam West is not George Clooney is not Michael Keaton is not Val Kilmer, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I, I I don't know. Like, like I always feel like, I I always feel like which Batman you like depends upon like what Batman stirs in your soul. Like, Mm -hmm. like is Batman supposed to be, Supposed to be campy and stupid and sort of very sixties go-go bootish. Then Adam West is your favorite Batman. Is Batman supposed to be dark and gothic? Then then like Michael Keaton is your favorite Batman. Is you know is it supposed to be you know gaudy and colorful and Joe Schumacher like? Then then Val Kilmer is your favorite Batman. And, not, and and all of those are independent of the person who plays Batman. It's more the person who interprets Batman.
1: Right, right. Say I I almost think of it as a little bit like. Um the the argument over James Bond, you know, your favorite James Bond is probably the one that you grew up with. Yeah, uh, My mother-in-law is, is a huge Sean Connery fan. Mm-hmm. And for all his campiness, I love Roger Moore.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, there's a great, there's a great article a, a thousand years ago that Anthony Lane, the movie critic for the New Yorker did about James Bond, where he made the point that even though when James Bond came out, it was this very like, like, mid-century british empire kind of thing you know you know the will of britain being you know restoring order to the rest of the world like like for 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 a long long time for like 75 percent of james bond history there was only one englishman who played like the most english of fictional characters um and everybody else was was from you know the english colonies and the provinces which i think is kind of fascinating um the uh different ways of looking at james bond but yeah i i think like like I think it's who you grew up with and like what you're willing to stomach. You know, I love the Sean Connery, James Bond movies. They're also like appallingly misogynistic and racist and like, um, so you gotta, you gotta weigh that too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely all right well i think that's pretty much all we had in terms of news and, and social media stuff i, I just I kind of saw i glanced at that over the last day or so and i was like okay we'll get a little mini debate going on here um we just did our our episode just a, about a month ago on uh, batman 89 so mm-hmm. um i know that had kind of been a, a thing we had talked about just a little while ago but so let mm-hmm. me I, I haven't really kind of formally uh introduced you yet so um our, our guest today is Kevin Smokler. He has authored or edited several books, including, uh, and you can correct me if I get any of these wrong, uh, we've got Bookmark Now, we've got The Customer is Always Wrong, we've got Practical Classics, 50 Reasons to Reread, 50 Books You Haven't Touched Since High School, and then Brat Pack America. Did I get all those right?
0: Uh, the Customer is Always Wrong is an anthology I appeared in. It was edited by my great friend, Jeff Martin. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, that's an anthology. The rest of them are all mine.
1: Okay, I, I knew you had one essay in there. I wasn't sure if yeah. you were involved in any editing or anything like that. But okay, mm. and uh, you're a you're a regular presenter. Do you do you also still host at South by Southwest? I thought I saw that that you were had been a host on. One of their
0: um, yeah, I know. used to host their live storytelling show, which was called Frey Cafe, and I was on their advisory board for many, many years. Uh, while I was writing Brat Pack America, I I had to take a break from going to conferences, so I I um I stopped being I stopped I stopped my South by Southwest responsibilities uh, sure. at that point, which was a few years
1: ago. Sure, sure. You can't multitask and write a book and do all that at the same time.
0: I, I've never been particularly good at that, and maybe it was because Brat Pack America involved watching. 55 movies from the 1980s you know each one at least three times it it, it was a lot of it was a lot of time at home those that that year and a half
1: absolutely absolutely well and i didn't realize until i had because i've read brett pack america and i had seen uh the practical classics one um and I, i need to read that one i didn't realize that nearly everything you've worked on is something that i need to be reading You know, between um, being a being a former English teacher, I I still work in the schools, uh, but I'm not a classroom teacher anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But being a former English teacher, having worked retail jobs, being an 80s movie fan, I'm looking at all your books and I'm just like, yeah, I I need to go get all these. Uh, So (laughs) everything, everything, I'm your demographic. You're the
0: person I had in mind. That's fantastic, John.
1: Um, so I wanted to start off with, uh, you just have you kind of talk a little bit about some of this. I, I should mention that you've also spent a little bit of time kind of up in our neck of the woods in the Northern suburbs of Chicago. You, you did that for uh Brat Pack America when you were covering the, the Shermer, uh, chapter of the book and you were a resident at the Ragdale house. Was it twice? I believe three times, yeah. three times. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I recognize that immediately. I think, uh, I think you and I might've talked a little bit on Twitter a couple of times about that. Um, my wife used to visit their, Fairly regularly, because she had gone to Lake Forest College when she was an undergrad. Oh, sure. And she worked in the library and worked with one of the local um, historians and archivists that worked at the college library. And they were constantly doing tours of the estates and uh, giving tours of Ragdale. And uh, so as soon as I heard that you had done that, uh, I thought, okay, I know exactly where that is. You've you've been in my hometown. Um, So for anybody who doesn't know, what what exactly is Ragdale? What was it like staying there?
0: The Ragdale is a is a is a old mansion in Lake Forest, Illinois, that was run that was built by a famous architect, I believe, at the turn of the century. And since the 1970s, it's been a nonprofit artist residency slash community arts organization for the city of Lake Forest and for the for the for the region at large Um, for artists, uh, i.e. writers, filmmakers, actors, uh, theater directors, Choreographers, uh, they have a residency program where you apply, and you're if you are accepted, you are given a two and three week term to simply come, you know, and work on your uh, and work on your discipline while you're there, and they they feed you dinner and and you eat leftovers from dinner for breakfast and lunch and you and you spend time with your fellow artists. It's, re, it's really a very special place. And there are there are these kinds of programs all over the country. Um, most of them are not in somewhere as nice as Lake Forest or as nice as the Ragdale House. And I, I'm not really a middle of the nowhere, middle of nowhere person. So I liked being able to, you know, put in a good week's work at Ragdale and then get on the train on Saturdays and go visit my best friend in Chicago. Um so it it's really a very special place. It's it's the ideal artist residency as far as I'm concerned and and I I'm, I'm just hoping they keep taking me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so so the three times you stayed there was that when you were working on Brat Pack America?
0: Uh, the, the most recent time was at the end of my Brat, uh, of the Brat Pack America tour, which went on for a year and a half. Um, and then before that, it was working on Practical Classics. And then before that, it was it was between Bookmark Now and Practical Classics. So, no, I actually strangely enough, I did not work on Brat Pack America while at Ragdale, in the northern suburbs of Chicago when I came for to research and report brad pack america i stayed in chicago with my friends there many of whom had grown up in the northern suburbs and i had them schlep me around to you know glencoe and 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 evanston and places like that where where um that had where key moments in in 80s teen movies had taken place and i and i i benefited from their expertise
1: yeah yeah um yeah i was just curious because i know um you know i you had come to, I think it was the Northbrook public library. Uh, it was a couple years ago and I, I had fully intended to get there and, and, and see if I could talk to you for a minute there. Um, cause I had started reading your book and, um, and I think either one of my kids got sick or something. I'm like, Oh man, I missed my chance. And, and, uh, I think I, s- I sent you a note. And that's when you mentioned, um, when I mentioned I was in Lake forest, you mentioned Ragdale I thought, well, I know exactly where that is. Um, But how did you how did you end up finding Ratdale? I mean, you're you're, because you're right now you're in San Francisco.
0: Yeah, I've been in San Francisco almost 20 years, even though I'm originally from the Midwest um, and proudly so Um, I uh, I had a friend who I, I have. I'm friends with several writers in Chicago. Um, there's an incredible literary and journalistic community in Chicago, and one of them had gone to Ragdale, and I, I didn't know what it was, and I barely, only dimly had an idea of what a writer's residency was, and so I just asked her some dumb questions. And um, and she said, oh, Ragdale's fantastic, and this is why. And, and I said, well, sounds perfect, and so I, I, I applied soon after.
1: Now, is that something where when you're doing your writing, you're doing – research your work, um, is that kind of your ideal spot is to be able to have a place where you, you can just sit and focus and work. Cause I know the, the other side of that, one of our other guys, who's a, a co-host on the podcast sometimes, um, he is, you know, he's a teacher, he's, he's got two kids that are in high school. So he's got very little time to write, but he teaches a digital film class at our school. That's and cool. he's, he's always wanting to write his own screenplays. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's had a chance to be on, uh, to kind of be involved in some very local movies, kind of up here around Milwaukee a little bit. Um, and uh, he and I actually were extras. Our scene got cut. We, we were extras in The Dark Knight. Oh, that's um, great. So I got to have a lot of fun. You know, even yeah. though we weren't in the movie much, we got to see the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Um, but his thing is he loves, he applied for it. I don't think he got it, but uh, pretty certain he applied for the opportunity to do one of those trips where you go on the train and you take the train from like Chicago to New York. And is, is something like Ragdale, is that the best way for you to do your work or are you just kind of happy wherever you are?
0: I, you know, the opportunity to do nothing but your work is an unparalleled luxury that, that almost none of us have. And I, you know, I, I'm a person of, you know, I, I make a decent living and I don't have any kids and, and and I can carry my job around with me in a backpack. So, yes, I, I could do more of that, but I just don't think that's realistic. And and it also it, it potentially creates bad habits. You know, I, I don't want to be the kind of person who who is so precious about my writing that I can only do it in ideal circumstances like that. You know, even Thoreau like walked into town and had his mother do his laundry. He wasn't like hanging out at Walden for two straight years without any human contact. And so as such, like I I feel like if I'm going to do this professionally and I, and I have, you know, I have I'm going to be dead and buried before I'm done with all the books I want to write and. Um, I need to be able to, I need to be a little bit more low touch than that. And I need to be able to just set up and do it. And so my, every, every writer has their requirements of sort of the basic things they need in order to be productive that day. And, and mine are mine are you know, a playlist that I, that I've listened to for the last 15 years when I'm writing and, and a pair of earphones and, and a mug of iced coffee, you know, decaf these days. But, um, that's pretty much all I need, and it's taken me a long time to find a, a method that's, that's portable and where I can just kind of set up and do it, but that is really what's required if you want to do it with any consistency.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I just was curious to hear a little bit more about that because I, I live in the same t- town as Ragdale, but I've never been myself and I've, I've only heard from other people. Yeah. It's just a, a place where artists and writers hang out. Like, well, there, there's gotta be more to it than that. Let's...
0: <laughs> yeah. They do great community events, you know, that are, that are moderately priced and, and of, of high quality and, and the grounds are just stunning. Like mm-hmm. it, it's a hundred percent, it's a hundred percent worth your time.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, I I wanted to ask you since since I got you here and and you know you've written the book on um, Brat Pack America and and how geography and locations are, are so vital to what makes a lot of those movies what they are um, and we are an eighties podcast I, I had some questions I was going to kind of throw at you in terms of kind of eighties movies in general you know maybe a little bit related to eighties uh, teen movies. So one of the things that we talk about pretty regularly on the show is, since we're looking back at movies that are reaching their 30th anniversary, we're always kind of asking ourselves whether or not the movie still holds up. And I think one of the things that that maybe we still need to work on a little bit is, what is our definition of what it means for a movie to hold up? When you think of movies, I mean, you've watched a lot of 80s movies in the last <laughs> few years. I <Sure laughs> have, yeah. What would be your definition of how a movie holds up over time for you?
0: God, that's a really good question. You know, I, a little anecdote, my, my middle brother for my, for my birthday in August, sent me the first three seasons of LA law on DVD. Um, I, I don't know how in the world he, he, he knew I was craving such a thing, but, but I was very impressed that he figured that out. Cause it, it's been a long time. I, in fact, I don't think it's ever been like formally released on DVD until now. Um, so I've been watching those and, um, I I get that question a lot. Like how well does it hold up? And, and and the truth is like, if I'm, if I'm being fair and I'm not just like making snap judgments based on like the bad haircuts and the shoulder pads and, and the fact that everybody's talking on a corded phone and, and that Blair Underwood is all of 25 years old. Um, the, uh, it holds up pretty well for what it is, which is that it was a nighttime drama on broadcast television uh, in the days when there was only broadcast and cable. Like there wasn't there wasn't anything else. I mean, there was yeah, there was there was HBO and Showtime, but those those were movie channels back then. So. if if you're asking the question like, is LA law as good a show as breaking bad. Like that's not a fair comparison. Like we're in a totally different time in hour long television drama now, but for like 1988 or 1986 when LA law first went on the air. Yeah. It holds up just fine. Like still compelling. It's still fun. And, and it, you know, for what it is for, for, for the standards at which it had to operate under, it does pretty well. Um, movies are slightly different because you know they're only two hours and and they only kind of get one bite of the apple uh so i usually judge it based on like am i still enjoying it for for at least spiritually some of the same reasons as i was before you know like i don't i don't have a crush on ali sheedy the way i did when i was 13 and saw the breakfast club like not anymore um but I, I still am moved by that movie, like like tremendously. Um, do I recognize the fact that like it doesn't cast any people of color and could have, and like it it operates on some very sort of loose, sloppy stereotypes? Yeah, yeah, I get that too. Um, it loses none of its power to me because of that. You know, the movie is it is it is. Nearly impossible for something to feel of its time and yet removed from the shackles of time. Um, and the things that do that are on Mount Olympus. Like like there's there's that is the death. Those are the things that that are that are those are the milestones that that carry on, you know, long after all of us are gone. Um, at the same time, like I I, I think the thing. I think there is a little bit of that in anything that endures and that we come back to. We come back to it in part because it reminds us of then and because it still, it still gives us something now. Um, The things we snicker at, um, I, 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 I did this when I was on tour. I would say, I would say to people like, if I say the spin doctors, what do you do? And most people would snicker. And I would say, why are you snickering? And they would say some version of because like I hear the spin doctors and I think 1993 and I'm like, yeah. And and the poor spin doctors are stuck in 1993 forever, which is part of what, which is, which is the definition of something that does not quote age well or hold up. Um, I don't think that's the spin doctor's fault, quite frankly, but, um, but there we are. So I, I guess I would say, this is a long way of saying the thing that holds up is the thing that reminds you of then and but doesn't only remind you of then.
1: Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Well, and, and I will admit, as soon as you said Spin Doctors, I started humming uh, Two Princes in my head. Yeah. So that, that holds up just fine for me. Thanks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and you know, to be fair to the Spin Doctors, like some of that is just a question of when you come along. Mm-hmm. Like the Spin Doctors in 1993 feels like an artifact, like a like a musical bottle of Fruitopia or something. <laughs> yeah. and, but the Spin Doctors in 1973 is like, you know, a baby Grateful Dead. Yeah. Um. And they would probably have endured much longer, you know, had they come along 20 years earlier.
1: Yeah. I, in fact, you, as soon as you said that, it made me think of, I, I lived in England for a few years. And one of the very first places that I went to was a music store in the the town that we lived in. And there was the first album I bought was one of those Now That's What I Call Music collections. Oh, sure, man. And 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 I think it was Two Princes, I think, was, was the Spin Doctors song that was on that. I destroyed that tape with the amount that i played it um (laughs)
0: yeah talk about something that's going to be around long after all of us are gone like like they're going to be on now music 573 and 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 we're all going to be you know buried in the ground and fertilizing daffodils as as they said in dead poet society
1: right right well and it's funny you talk about um how things hold up and and kind of how you decide what holds up for you we actually just recorded our um podcast episode for the movie the wizard with fred savage yeah and i i made the stupid mistake we have a little segment um kind of we do towards the end of the show after we've talked for a little bit where we do five questions and those five questions a little bit similar to kind of some of the daily show five questions back in the day um but we do five questions that are kind of loosely related to the topic we're on and and i made the stupid mistake of asking the other guys uh to give me their top three video games of all time Mm mm-hmm that was a dumb dumb question. Was um, that
0: like 2 hours of discussion following what had come before on the show or
1: pretty much it, it was about it was about 3 hours of me <laughs> sitting down that afternoon and going dear god why did i ask this question because <laughs> I started to list out, I'm like, okay, let's start with my very first, my, my dad used to work for Texas Instruments. We had the TI-99 4A computer Yeah. and uh, I'm like, okay, let me start to list out all the games I loved in that one. So I'm starting to list them out and then I'm like, okay, well, then we had a Nintendo. Okay. Let me list out the NES. Okay. Super Nintendo. So I started to list those out and, and before I realized that the first draft of my list is about 60 games long, Wow. I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to work. Cause I said three, mm-hmm. um, so then I think I narrowed it down to 20. And once I got it down to 20, the the other guys have made fun of me because I, I use one of those, um, you know, I've, I've never worked in business and I'm, I'm a teacher. So I, I do my English teacher stuff, but there's a chart that somebody I know who, who kind of works in business gave me one time called a paired decision chart. Mm. And it's how now if I want to, because I need to make myself a little bit more objective when I say, okay, let me rank my top, whatever, um, and so I, I tortured myself by putting these 20 movies into this paired decision chart and uh, and ranked. What, what you end up doing is you compare each one to every other one on the list and decide which one you like better. Yeah. And then ultimately you get down to it and you count up the number of points each thing got. And then whichever has the most points, obviously is number one and then two, three, and so on. And I, my results came out fine, but my problem was when I'm looking at that list and I'm comparing the games, it's kind of like what you said that, it's a little bit unfair to compare certain things. You know, when you compare LA Law with Breaking Bad, you can't really do that. I mean, you can, I guess, a little bit, but what well, the problem I was running into was I had games that I loved as a kid. I had uh, Super Mario Brothers. I had uh, Q-Bert. I had, um, oh gosh, what were some of the other ones? Uh, Legend of Zelda. I had uh, Street Fighter Two. I had all those games, the, the Ninja Turtles arcade game. All that stuff that I loved as a kid was on that list, but it was also next to games that I've played within the last 10 years that I'm like, okay, well, Battlefield 1, just this beautiful cinematic game for the PlayStation 4, I loved that game when I played it. Now, how in God's green earth do I go about comparing how much as a kid I was just gleeful about playing a boy in his blob for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Oh, yeah, man. I love <laughs> versus, that game. Versus NBA 2K19 or, or whatever I'm playing today. I, I love both of them. You know, Civilization 4 is my kryptonite. That's the one that I think came out top in my list. But, um, like, how do, how do I compare that with something that, as a kid, if you had tried to get me to turn off the TV, I would have screamed at you? Um, how do I make that comparison? Because I love both of them, but for very different reasons.
0: Yeah. You can't get mad at a horse for not being a jet plane. Like you, right. you, you kind of got to view it as a horse.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So that was a stupid question that I asked.
0: No, it was not, it was not a stupid question. I, I, I just think like, I, I think, yeah, we have to we have to ask these things because, or else, we're stuck in this like in this like high fidelity infinite loop where where like the conversation never gets any deeper than like ranking stuff and and arguing with other people's way of ranking stuff. Right. And you know, we if that was all there was to say about movies thirty years later, well, we wouldn't be talking about them thirty years later. We sure. We, their significance is greater than that. I mean, that's why I wrote the book in the first place. You know, I, you commit yourself to three years of of, of of Goonies trivia with, with you know, fans all across this great land, which is what I did while I was on tour. You got to believe there's something to these movies. And, and And that was what I was trying to convey in this book, that they endure not because of how we remember them, but because of how we feel about them now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and so that actually, that kind of leads me into another question I was going to bring up with you. Um, you had seen, I had seen a little while back and it was kind of, um, I, it's not to say that it's gone away at all, but uh, it seemed like it was a little bit more prominent, uh, you know, early, earlier last year. Um, you had written a blog post back in April about Molly Ringwald's uh, Me Too essay in the New Yorker. Uh-huh, and th- this one has kind of come up several times on our show too. Um, and you know at, at different times w- we've had some we've had some strong opinions about it, but um I guess kind of the idea of reevaluating movies that we love kind of based on a modern lens, you know c- can they or should they exist in a bubble of their original time and setting? You know, so I I guess the ultimate question is, is it antithetical to support the Me Too movement or or something like that and still enjoy 16 Candles or Animal House? And I know you've already, already kind of started to mention this earlier, but what are kind of your thoughts on that?
0: No, it, it, it's not antithetical. And you can you can understand something comes from a time and place, a time and place that may be less enlightened than it is now and still enjoy it. I I, I wouldn't choose to model one's life after it, just like I wouldn't I wouldn't like walk around pretending to be, you know, Rhett Butler or Shaft or or something like that, you know, uh, visions of masculinity that are that are hardly progressive or 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 view equality between the genders equally. Um, But that doesn't mean I can't enjoy those things for what they are. Um, I, I, and I don't think Miss Ringwald in her essay was saying like, never watch The Breakfast Club again um, or feel ashamed of yourself for liking that movie. She was just saying like, understand where this movie came from and what it's saying and that chances are most people who were teenagers when The Breakfast Club came out now have teenagers of their own. And be willing to watch this movie and enjoy it with your kids, based on where we are now as a culture. And I think, I think that's an important thing to state, even if it's a, even if it's kind of an enduring truism that, like, that's what makes a classic a classic. You know, that we can, that we continue to come back to it generation after generation and get something new out of it each time. Um, it's, I mean. The Great Gatsby, you know, came out in 1925, and and nobody gave a shit about it until World War II. You know, a generation later. Um, so it, does that does that mean we were, you know, when it became a classic, we were supposed to say, well, that's about the Jazz Age, and things are different now, and you know, and people dress differently, and that was during Prohibition, and therefore, like, we shouldn't we shouldn't like it as much? No, I mean we we uh, we. We view things in light of when they came out, and um, and in 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 our distance from them. At the same time, I mean, that's that's the whole premise of this podcast, right? Right. Should we not consider at all what it's saying in light of what we know in twenty nineteen?
1: No. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of that kind of came up as well around the time that uh, there was. I think. Uh, Came out in the news not too long ago about um, the Little House on the Prairie books and how some of those books were being either banned or removed from places because of you know some of the language that's used to refer to uh, Native Americans or other groups. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that the kind of the initial knee-jerk reaction um, from my family in particular was, "That's ridiculous. We've we've read all these books. Our kids love these books. There's such a great message to these books." Are people just throwing the baby out with the bathwater when they take a look at that and say, well, this is how they referred to these groups of peoples, and and therefore, we shouldn't read them anymore? Um, so I think that was kind of one of the initial knee-jerk reactions from my family was to say, whoa, 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 whoa. We've read all these books. We love these books. Is there some stuff in it that we wouldn't accept in today's society? Absolutely. But that's when we have a conversation with our kids while we're reading them, and we say, "Okay, now you're gonna you're gonna hear some words in this book, and this is the way people used to talk. This is not the way that's acceptable to talk now."
0: Indeed, and I think what you're putting your finger on it comes down,
1: to
0: sort of hanging at the background of this is the question of role modeling. Like we don't we don't worry about what's in the Laura Ingalls Wilder books if if you know, generations of young girls have not wanted to model themselves after the adventures of Laura Ingalls Wilder. And um, as such, uh, we need to be careful of when these books were written and what they're saying, because because. All, because all readers wish to see them, all readers and all moviegoers wish to see themselves in fiction to some degree, and therefore will identify with the experiences they see, whether or not they are they are you know uh, whether or not they are they are kind and open hearted or bigoted and closed minded. Um, and at the same time, like we particularly for kids, we need to encourage kids to not just identify with people who look like them. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you the number of times, like I, 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 would meet people while I was on book tour and they were saying like, and they would say like, oh, well my, I have sons. So therefore, therefore I can't show them pretty in pink. Cause that's a girl's movie and they're not going to identify it with. And I'm like, are you crazy? Like, like I was, I was all over pretty in pink when I was 13 and like, and like, I, I have a feeling your, your sons are smarter than that. Um, I, I think I, I think that is a that is a trap we fall in that, that, that i don't have kids so i i can't i can't say we but i think it's a trap parents fall into that you know in the course of shoring up a kid's identity they only want to show them pop culture that looks like them um and i think that's that's really selling short the the the, 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 the power that pop culture has
1: yeah yeah definitely Um, so one of the other things I want to ask you, there was, um, as I was reading Brat Pack America, there was, there was one line in particular that I really, um, that really kind of jumped out at me. And I I think it might've been because I had just seen a movie that had come out that they really, the two thoughts really for me kind of tied together. Um, the line in your book is, and I think it was in one of the, the first couple of chapters talking about John Hughes movies and how he treats the teenage characters, in his movies. And and the line you wrote was, um, they give, they give dignity to teenagers while showing how hard it can be for teenagers to give dignity to themselves. And I I think for me as someone who works in a middle school and I work with kids that are, um, you know, they're, they're in that really ultra awkward age (laughs) of, uh, of, of sixth grade through eighth grade. Um, you know, they're not elementary kids, but they're not high school yet. Um, I, I read that and, Round about the time that I read that I had also just seen the movie eighth grade and, Mm -hmm. and I, have you seen that movie? I have. Okay. And that having being someone who works in a middle school and has worked closely with eighth grade children for years and years and years, that movie just, there was, there were so many parts to that movie that made me so excited. It made me feel like I was watching a, a piece of what my life had gone into and so much of it is heartbreaking because I've seen this happen so many times to kids in real life. Um, so I, I know in your book, I, uh, most of the teen 80s movies that you've talked about and most teen 80s movies are, you know, dealing with high schoolers. But um, you, so you've seen eighth grade. Yeah. Is there some to me? Eighth grade felt like. Maybe not quite a John Hughes movies, but if a movie, but it felt like the way he gave dignity to teenagers when you the way you worded that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think like like there's it would be I, I was kind of meh on eighth grade. Like Maybe. I I I think eighth grade is a great performance in search of a movie. Um, okay. I, I think there's, I, I kind of think there's no movie there there's a fantastic central performance. And then, and then the rest of it is kind of a series of acting exercises, which show how effectively these actors portray, uh, uh, the sort of daily dramas of the eighth grade. Um, but, and, and maybe this is just me being like a 45 year old old fuddy duddy, but kind of nothing happens in that movie. Um, and I don't mean I need, I need something to explode. I, I, I just mean there's no beginning, middle and end. It, it, it's sort of, it, 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 it is, it, it is simply, it is simply a series of, a, a series of ideas loosely strung together. Um, and, um, and I think like, so I, I guess, I guess my question is always when people say they love that movie, um, I always ask, do you love something about it beyond the fact that it does a very good job conveying the feeling of eighth grade? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, well, I, I'll, I'll preface. I mean, I'll, I'll clarify that and say, I agree with you. I loved her performance, mm-hmm. um, and I, the other part of it too. I, I love the performances. I love the performance of her dad and just how awkward he is in that mm-hmm. movie because, because I've seen parents try to deal with their own eighth grade children and i've got one that's going to be an eighth grader in just a couple of years so oh man god help me i know what it's going to be like <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um but yeah no i, I agree with you because it part of it it almost seemed to me like this movie and not the badmouth eighth graders but i've read enough eighth grade writing to know um that it kind of felt like the, the story was developed with an eighth grade sensibility
0: yeah yeah um and and that was and that was really the genius of john hughes like i'm always very careful when people say oh did you see x movie that just came out it reminds me of a john hughes movie and usually what that means is is the movie features teenagers and it's not you know american pie Mm -hmm. um and uh and, and really i think that undersells like the genius of john hughes which was john hughes was like already in his 30s when he was making movies about teenagers. Like he was he was most definitely old enough to be the parent of most of the people in those movies. Um, if not the parent, like the, the sort of distant older brother or older cousin. Um, and, um, and yet he so understood how young people uh, thought and felt and acted that the movie succeeds, at being about young people, and yet not so close to the subject that it has no perspective on young people, um, it succeeds in still being a movie and not simply diary entries. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's like like the great the great teen films of the modern age. And believe me, there are plenty of them succeed in doing that too.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just I, I think it, her her performance in particular just it, it really kind of made me think of the ways that well and I, I think the way you said it in your book was was summed it up perfectly the dignity that you're giving to these characters that nobody really ever gave to teenagers before
0: yeah i i mean and that and that is that is something that like the teen movie had been around since like since we in pot, since we in American popular culture had a conception of teenagers, so the teen movie goes back at least as far as like rock and roll or, or like the days, the, the the era portrayed in say Happy Days. Mm-hmm. Um, however, in pretty much until the 1980s, the teen the teen movie was always viewed teenagers as kind of a species a, a species of fish inside an aquarium. Um, it viewed them as as symbols of something or or a social problem or via the lens of adulthood. They were kind of never able or allowed to be fully formed human beings themselves. And really beginning with, with a movie like breaking away um, in which I believe was 78 or 79. Um, and then, and then on through on through, you know, Valley girl and my bodyguard and fast times or Ridgemont high, you know, reaching an apex with John Hughes in 84 with 16 candles and 85 with breakfast club. um, you really get you really get movies that where where teenagers are fully formed human beings. Number one, and number two, the story is told from their point of view. Um, there is no there is no adult kind of kind of weighing in on, on the narrative or on the plot. It, it, it belongs exclusively to young people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was, and, and you just, you name dropped a whole bunch of different movies. That was one of the other things in, in reading your book that as I'm reading it, I'm going, oh my God, my watch list is now so much longer because I haven't seen this one and I haven't seen this one. And I I, I remember it was just a few weeks ago. I was going to jump on uh, Letterboxd. I know you're on Letterboxd as well.
0: Oh yeah. It's like, the gra- it's like the greatest website ever. Like it's like Goodreads for movies.
1: Like I know, I know. <laughs> so I, I jumped on there and I'm like, I, I got to. I use letterbox. I, I paid for the pro registration. I, I need to make a list to keep track of like all the movies that he's mentioning in this book. So I can go through and make sure that I watch all of them and, and God bless. I don't remember the person's name, but God bless the person who already made that list when I logged in and found it. And I'm like, okay, you have now saved me hours <laughs> of time.
0: I, I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quite remembering who that person was either, but I was incredibly flattered. Um, <laughs> the, 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 my favorite, like among like my favorite comments I get when people read the books is, 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 Oh, now I have like, like 30 movies I need to watch. I have, I have such an incredible queue now. And I'm like, good. Like that's, that's, I, I've done my job. Like, like if you, if you never pick up the book again, I still feel like I've done my job.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I was, I was putting together a presentation for something I, I had to do actually earlier today, um, a couple weeks ago. And I, sometimes when I'm putting together something and it's, you know, I, I I'm at a point where it's just, putting in pictures or doing something like that where I don't have to be completely focused on it. I'll put a movie on in the background and I'm looking around for movies and I don't remember what, which site I was on, whether it was Netflix or one of the others. And I come across the warriors and I'm like, oh, Jesus. I've never seen the warriors, but that's like one of the first movies he mentions in the book. Let me give it a watch. And so I put the movie on and I no joke, that presentation never got done.
0: <laughs> just kind of suck like, its claws into you, huh?
1: It just—I'm I'm starting to watch it. I'm like, ah, you know, it's—it's it's one of those older, you know, it's—it's it's, what was it, '79? Um, like, you know, yeah. I, it's one of those I'll put on the background, and I, it was not one that I could put on the background. I started it and like, well, the the, the premise of this movie is so simple—they—they got to get home without getting killed by the other gangs this is not something that i need to be like fully 100% investing my attention into i can i can have it on while i'm working and that did not work at all so um, yeah. so I, I will thank you for introducing me to the warriors i had i had seen it before or i had seen the poster before i was aware of it i'd seen it in you know video stores the vhs cover in video stores but had never watched it up until a couple of weeks ago and I'm like okay great i'm not getting any work done now
0: yeah, yeah, it, it's good. I mean, it, it, is it a great movie like on its own? No. Right. Is it a great movie for the influence it has had on popular culture? Oh, yeah. Like 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 first of all, it's in like one of every five hip-hop songs. Mm-hmm. Um and, and it's been sampled. It, it, it is the basis for an above average Xbox game. Yep. Um which uh, which was really fun. The Warriors Xbox game was really a lot of fun. Um, and if you like, you know, if you like movies about street gangs, which I do like, that's a great one. If you ever wondered what the beastie boys were talking about when they always talk or Wu-Tang clan, when they talked about baseball furies, like it's in there too. Um, and if you like, like it, 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 there's a whole genre of like seventies, New York, like New York was a real, was a real asshole in the seventies or so, mm-hmm. or, or so the movies would have us believe like, like it, it's one of the, like that and taxi driver or like some of the best examples of that kind of movie.
1: You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I I was going to ask you this. Now, since we've got you on now, and this is, you know, being 2019 when we're recording this, um, obviously for our show, for our purposes, it's 1989. So we're nearing the end. We started in the middle of the 80s. We're nearing the end of our 80s decade. And as of next year, when it's 2020, we'll be starting in the 1990s. So shifting from, and and I know that there's there's a little bit of a, a, kind of an overlap uh, between the decades. It's kind of always the way when you've got movies that you go from the 70s to the 80s and the 80s to the 90s. But now that we're kind of reaching the end of our journey through the 80s and, and next year going into the 90s, what do you see as being one of the biggest differences between those two decades in terms of film? And then is there a 90s movie we would be remiss in not covering in the next decade?
0: oh jesus man there's so many i I mean like like so for my story for the for the the story of 80s teen movies i was trying to tell in brat pack america that there is a logical ending um and and you don't you're not always presented with something like that when if you were like if you were like oh i want i want to do a do a, a book about 80s action movies like what's the last one um I I don't know. I, right. I mean, maybe maybe I'd say Die Hard, or maybe I'd say like The Fugitive. The Fugitive is 1989, but really feels like. Wait, is The Fugitive 1989? The Fugitive is a little later than that. Yeah, I think it's yeah. early
1: 90s, I think. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but in the case of 80s teen movies, there is a logical ending, and it's Heather's. Like Heather's is the Heather's is the movie that literally blows up the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and sort of when you, when a genre, you know produces its own satire. You can safely say that the genre's moment in the sun has passed Mm -hmm. that it's now that it's now um, kitsch and maybe coming around to nostalgia rather than contemporary. Um, And I think what Heather's does, even though it is a, it is a, you know, it is a, it is a a swipe at the John Hughes eighties teen movie. It also like, even though the people who made it couldn't have known, it also predicts some of the, you know, uh, uh, uh pop culture uh clichés of the 1990s you know it has an ambiguous ending it has an anti-hero it has heavy black eyeliner um it has a sort of surreal creepy soundtrack um the 90s was very much was very from from a movie standpoint the 90s was very much about like certain things it was about it was about broken families, like like you look at, or, or the idea of friends as family. You know, you look at movies like Reality Bites and Dazed and Confused early in the decade, or movies like, movies like American Beauty at the end of the decade. Um, the nineties was very much about ambiguous endings. You look at a movie like 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 say anything which i which i which is another movie about broken families but i i contend is is even though it came out in the summer of 1989 is really a 90s teen movie and not just because it takes place in seattle um Mm. it's um it's a movie about broken families and ambiguous endings and um and no sort of the 80s teen movie in fact most 80s movies end on kind of a definitive note um the only exception would be would be kind of the the alternative 80s teen movies, the ones that were doppelgangers to the John Hughes movies, movies like Over the Edge and Repo Man and The Legend of Billy Jean, which were all sort of dark pictures of what it meant to be a teenager in America at that time. Um, also, you know, the 90s, the 90s movies are about the coming of the Internet and, and the blurring of geographic boundaries, you know, and not just in obvious examples, movies like Hackers and and, uh, you know, and and the net and stuff like that. But at the end of the decade, you have all of these movies like The Matrix and The Game, which are all about, like, the world is not what you think it is. And that's about the growing influence of the Internet and also the coming of Y2K. Um, so, uh, and, you know, at the same time, you know, the 90s was also, was also a time of unparalleled economic prosperity for at least the last seven years of it. So, We see that in many. We see that in the optimism of many of those movies too. Um, The uh, the return of the um, of of the of the youth movie, you know, beginning with Clueless in the summer of 1995, um, is very much about this about this return to the idea that that the future will belong to the young, you know, in in good ways and bad ways, you know, even in the dark versions of that movie like cruel intentions you know there's still a degree there's still an idea that like this 300 year old french french classic classic of french literature can be can be repurposed and, and, and teenagers can do that too like right. um so yeah I, I i think it's i mean i, I think i think the 90s is a decade for movies is just as fascinating as the 80s for uh the movie uh, as as a as a way of uh, to study the movies of that decade um Who knows? Maybe I'll do that someday.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's we we've been kind of funny about when we started the podcast. One of the guys um, that's on the show, he is uh, he's our our band director here at the middle school, and um, he just gets very excited, like sometimes overly excited, about uh, action movies. And he just when when we had I was one of our first episodes that we ever recorded um, in uh, 2015, and I said, Hey, you know, guys, we're just starting out with this podcast. What are you guys excited for? And I was kind of expecting, you know, them to say, well, Back to the Future and, you know, uh, Commando and, and stuff that we were doing in that first year. And he just uh, just straight looks at me and goes, Batman. <laughs> and I said, I said, Pat, we're, we're not going to get to Batman until 2019. It's going to be like four years. I was like, Yep, that's the one I'm excited for.
0: Like, How about that?
1: Okay. <laughs> so now we're we're looking ahead to the. I mean, I all the 80s stuff. I love all the 80s stuff too. But one of my favorite movies is the Rocketeer. Oh
0: yeah, man.
1: And that was kind of my answer, you know, in the last couple of years or so, I'm like, I'm excited to get to the Rocketeer. And they're like, well, you realize that's early nineties. We're not going to get to that for several years. I'm like, I don't care. Pat wants Batman. I want the Rocketeer. We'll... This is delayed gratification. We can get there. We're just fine. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I really looking forward to kind of moving on into the '90s, and and uh, I know that the the early part of the '90s obviously will still be, will have some similarities that'll kind of bleed over from from the '80s as well. But then you kind of, as you said, you kind of start to get into those movies that are distinctively have that that '90s flavor to them.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, just to make a quick. Point about ninety about action movies at that time. There's a really profound shift, you know. Of course, we have the ending of the Cold War at the at, uh, you know, at the end of the 1980s. So, and and that has something to do and and the sort of leftward turn politically of the country, you know, um, with the with the election of Bill Clinton in 1992. Um, The 90s, the 80s action movie, the action hero is almost always a representative of the system, is a is a cop or a federal agent or something like that. And when you move into the 90s, the the action hero is almost always against the system. Mm -hmm. See, see Richard Kimball in The Fugitive or uh, or Neo in in The Matrix. Um, That's a really I, I think it's 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 a it's a subtle shift, but it's but it's. It, it 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 sort of puts that whole genre under glass and and really draws a pretty sharp line between then and now,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. So I really looking forward to that. so we've kind of reached one of our our last segments of the show, and it's um we do have five questions and they're kind of rapid fire, but sometimes we we talk a little bit more than you would expect to talk for rapid fire questions so there I will
0: rapid fire. If that, if that's what you want,
1: <laughs> there's, there's not a time limit. So don't worry about, don't worry about this being rapid fire, but five kind of final questions. And, uh, some of these are maybe a little bit more hypothetical than, um, You know, than some of the questions we've talked about so far. But uh, so here are our five questions for this time around.
0: He asks each traveler five
1: questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. You've got to ask yourself one question. What are you asking me for? I don't know. What
0: you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything. That could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul.
1: Question number one, is there a single movie that you feel encapsulates the 80s for you?
0: Oh, God, that's really hard. <laughs> I mean, like, like there are, there are sort of obviously, like, stupidly obvious answers, like Wall Street mm-hmm. or... Um, or, uh, you know, the, the Breakfast Club is kind of a stupidly obvious answer. The Breakfast Club is about five kids in detention. It really could have taken place at any time in history. Right. Um, I don't know. Like, my inclination just off the top of my head would be to say Tron. Um, okay. Which feels to me like a movie about the sort of increasing presence of technology in our lives. Um, and and, you know, in a dazzling way and in a scary way, too. Um, I guess it feels very much of the early 1980s because it's about arcade games. Um, but I also, feel like, I also feel like it's very much of that time and ahead of its time, which, uh, which is remarkable. I haven't seen the remake, and I, I don't particularly feel the need to see the remake. I, I, I've listened to the Daft Punk soundtrack about a thousand times, and that's more than enough for me.
1: That's, that's probably all you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, question number two, which of the breakfast club members would you have been in high school?
0: Oh, none of them. And, and and that's not evading the question. That's just because I went to like a weird high school. I, I went to like, I went to a, um, I went to a private progressive school that was founded in the 1960s. And the whole thing was like, the whole thing was like, we're not like those public schools. We're different and artsy and creative and kids can be themselves, except it was like the tail end of the Reagan era. And, and kids could most definitely not be themselves. So, um, so I, I think like, I think I, I was sort of, I was certainly not popular even, and I was certainly not a jock, even though I was on the tennis team. Um, but we sort of didn't have nerds in a conventional sense of the word because, like, you know, we had a dress code and you had to, like, take a test to go to this school. So everybody was kind of, like, at least nerd curious. Um, so, God, I don't know. Like, like, I guess that's why I, I felt like I never identified with any of the people in that movie as much as I love that movie. And I've seen it, you know, 65 times. Um, mm-hmm. I... I that was more more the fault of where I went to school than 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 any sort of conscious like avoidance on my part.
1: sure. so so the school you went to would it be would it be fair to say it's it's maybe like a more updated version of a um, dead poet society?
0: no no okay. we, we we were we, we were a midwestern school first of all and, and and like so we didn't have any of the sort of social capital weight of being an east coast prep school it okay. had only been around since the 1960s and um and like you know it was in a university town i grew up in ann arbor michigan um so uh it was it was too it was not the place where like it the 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 brand of the school was not we set send your best and brightest here like with Welton Academy in in, in Dead Poet Society. God, I like I, it. Felt like in retrospect, it felt a little bit more like the high school in like Ten Things I Hate About You. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I that, that that I guess is the best comparison I could make.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I when I lived in England, obviously I was much much younger. But uh, when I lived in England, I went to I had the option to go to an American um school there and decided well we're only here for a few years let's go to the the british school in the town and when i got to eventually when we moved back here to the states and we read uh, lord of the flies in high school i'm like yep nope i know i know exactly why this book is structured the way it is i know exactly i, I know these characters i went to school with some of these characters um so yeah the the idea of you know slightly different, slightly different setup for going to, to school, um, connected with in that sense too, since I had been to uh, a slightly different, um, middle school than, you know, the kids even I teach here.
0: Yeah. I, I will say that like one of the great things about writing a book is you get, you get a chance to like, you know, brag about it in certain settings. And, and one of the things I've done a couple of times is like address an assembly of my high school, which is a an awesome thing. It's a little bit like, you know, the ugly, I I felt like the ugly duckling who became a swan, but um, I, uh, yeah, I, I I think like, like as much as I like, don't look fondly upon my years in high school. I also feel like um, things turned out kind of okay as an adult. So um, I, I don't, I, 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 I've, I've elected not to, not to waste energy regretting those days. And I'm actually friends with a number of people. Like I had, little to no relationship with in high school i'm friends with them as as adults which is pretty great
1: that's nice yeah 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 it's uh, with the advent of uh, this year is my wife and i we went to high school together and this year is our 20th uh high school reunion and we're kind of finding that we haven't really done any other reunions before this just because facebook
0: yeah yeah i get that i mean i i my I the first high school reunion I went to was my 15th and I only did that because I was on tour for my first book for bookmark now and I happened to be nearby I was doing a gig in Toronto and so I'm like yeah if there's an ideal time to go to one's high school reunion it's like when you're on tour as you as, as as a published author and so I went and I had a great time and and I've subsequently done a few other high school reunions since then simply because you know um it worked for me yeah. um I I and, and then I've just kept in touch with the people I, you know, who were nearby and I've wanted to keep in touch with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so question number three, if you were to quantum leap yourself into a character from any story, could be TV, movie, book, and try to help them fix something that's messed up about their life, who would it be?
0: Oh, you know, I, I I'm a huge fan of, of the movie House Party. Mm hmm. And, and I, but I feel like like that movie like the, like the thing that makes that movie go is like is like kid didn't know how to kid, kid sort of didn't respect the fact that his dad worked two jobs because his because his mom was dead and like and uh and you know I, and kid was a kid was a smart guy like I, I don't know why he didn't just like why he didn't just like do his homework and hang out with his friends and you know like like write rap lyrics it really struck me that he had time for all of those things and like and like he just sort of kept fumbling kept sort of defying his dad's wishes even though he didn't really have to so um i'd probably sit down with kid and be like and be like dude you know you're a senior and you're a smart kid and you're going to go off to college. You're going to throw, get to throw as many house parties as you want. Just like, just like play the long game, man.
1: <laughs> that sounds like so many conversations I have with my own <laughs> child and he's only 11. <laughs> all right. Question number four. Um, actually, this is something that you tweeted earlier today. Uh, I happened to be on Twitter for a little bit and I saw that you, you tweeted this earlier today. Uh, you said, when you're born to a town with no real cuisine of its own, all the world is your buffet. Um, you've stayed in Chicago for a while. What's your favorite meal to eat in Chicago?
0: Oh, that is a hard one, man. Like I, you know, I, I haven't even begun with Chicago. Like, like I'm a, like to eat my way across Chicago. Like I'm a really, um, there's there's a reason
1: why people are bigger in Chicago.
0: Yes. Yes. And Chicago is a tremendous food town. And I, I live in San Francisco, which is like one of America's food capitals. And yet I still come to Chicago with certain meals in mind. Um, my my sort of regular go to Chicago places are all about like neighborhoods where my friends have lived. So I had a friend who lived in, in Wicker Park for many years, which meant I, I ate at Lily's Barbecue like like 50 times and, and, and still try and go back there. Um, my best friend lives in Andersonville. So I've spent a lot of time at like Big Jones's Soul Food and at the coffee studio and at, you know, the Hop Leaf Brewery over there. Um, my favorite soul food restaurant on the South side of town is no longer there. So I'll have to find another one of those. Um, uh, I really like the, uh, the, the, the Rick Bayless Mexican foods, even though like the last thing I need coming from Northern California is Mexican food in Illinois, but, um, but I do it anyway. Um, and, uh, and Chicago's a great breakfast town too. Um oh, yeah. there's like there's some pancake joint over on Rush Street that's been that's been more than good to me on several occasions. I'm not remember the name of it. Um and uh god, I could just go on. Like like the firecracker donut or the uh or the uh um the coffee from uh uh, oh the, the 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 breakfast from Goddess and the Baker downtown and all over the city and they're like nitro brew iced coffee in a, in in like a beer mug or a tall beer glass like right. Jesus like like why are we talking like like why didn't I just like why didn't why didn't we just meet somewhere in Chicago the next time I was there and like over one of these meals like
1: hey I'm I'm good with that next you time you're God, here please, let me know please
0: I'm completely distracted now so <laughs>
1: Well, that's what I made sure I had to have some dinner before we started talking because I'm like, I've got that question in there. And as soon as somebody starts talking food, I, I didn't have lunch today. So I know I'm going to get hungry. So i got to eat something real fast. But
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, Chicago is <laughs> an amazing place to, to, to sit down and eat.
1: Well, I watch that. You know, every once in a while, WGN has the show um, on later at night called uh, Chicago's Best. And they go through and they they do some of the different um you know, they usually they pick a style of food and they jump around the city and and go to places that people have recommended and and I just watch that show and I'm just like, I, why do I not get out more often? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so many. It's it's kind of like reading your book and having to put down that watch list and say, okay, now I've got like 50 more things. I watch those shows or I watch the. Um, uh, what was the one that that uh president obama was on before he was president it was i think it was called check please or something like that mm-hmm. and um they have three people you know come in and they they each pick a restaurant and the other people go to the restaurant and then everybody reviews it afterwards and i just i watch those shows and i'm just like i there's not enough money or days of the week or meals in a day and there's just just a, an embarrassment of riches
0: <laughs> you're absolutely right and you know from from where you are over in uh from where you are over in uh, what's it called in uh, in Lake Forest you get on the train and in in 35 minutes you're at the Ravenswood stop and that can uh that'll take you just about anywhere from there like
1: some great my my wife and I love Indian food and there's some, yeah. some great great spots on Devon and and we went to um uh some great uh Middle Eastern bakeries uh, a little while back and just I, there wasn't enough room in our house to bring home all the bread I wanted to bring home but yeah
0: yeah, uh, she. Yeah, no kidding. Like, like there's, it's, 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 it's a blessing to the point of distraction.
1: hmm mm-hmm. So, so yes, as an addendum to question number four, the next time you're in town, let me know and we can meet up somewhere. And
0: <laughs> I dig that. We'll
1: have to narrow it down. I, I can get you one of those paired decision charts and we can narrow down the, the best place to go. <laughs> Excellent. It may, it may take three hours, but we'll narrow mm-hmm. it down. Uh, so, last question, question five what is so so you've written you've written brat pack america you've written a couple of books at this point um what is the book that you want to write that you haven't written yet
0: you know i i i love <sighs> usually the the answer to that is just like whatever I'm working on next. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I have this idea for a book about women filmmakers that I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, but like taking the long view and, and, and looking like out over the vast stretch of time, like I love to read essay collections and I, I I've, I have yet to write an essay collection and I, I want to, um, I hope to before my time is up. And um and I've also, I love to interview people. So I I have, I have a number of essay ideas. Like, ideally, I'd like to do one essay collection about all the different sectors of pop culture I love. You know, one about music, one about movies, one about video games, one about books, that sort of thing. And then pair each of them with like a collection of interviews with, I think, great but unknown practitioners in those genres. You know, I'd love to... I'd love to spend a year interviewing film composers, or, or book jacket designers, or, or, or music, you know, music engineers, or session musicians, or something like that. I, th- I think I think the, the way culture is produced involves so many people and, and doing so many wondrous things, and we, we we all too often get lost in just what you know the the sort of entertainment press tells us to pay attention to, and it's just deeper and wider and better than that. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, have you in, in the in the collections of things that I was uh, looking at in your bibliography, have you ever written fiction or are you kind of purely a, I'm, I'm a nonfiction guy?
0: I, I'm a nonfiction person. I, okay. I, I don't I don't have those skills. I mean, I, I I've to, to be fair, I've never really tried, but I, I kind of feel like this world is 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 dazzling and fascinating enough for me. I, I don't I don't have the urge to create other ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well put. All right. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on, um, spending some time with us here on the show. And, uh, just, it was, it was great to finally connect with you having read the book and, and just, uh, you know, just uh, the insights you had on, you know, particularly the John Hughes movies, we, we've just done a whole bunch of them, uh, in the last couple of years on the show and, and, uh, then just getting to discover, you know, some realms of the eighties, teen movies in particular that I had not, you know, spent a whole lot of time in. And, um, you know, it's just, just great to get to read your books. And then um, when I was looking up and seeing the other one, the, the, um, uh, the 50 reasons to pick up the the 50 books you read in high school, I'm like, okay, that sounds like a, a summer reading list I made for myself several years ago. And I never got even a quarter of the way through. So <laughs> I need to go back to that and <laughs> maybe your book can help me because that was uh,
0: certainly help. So,
1: yeah, you because know, it was a it was something where I sat down. And I was like, you know what? I, I'm an English teacher, and there are some great American, you know, not just American, but there's great works of literature that I haven't read. And to say that I'm an English teacher and that I haven't read uh, Catch 22 or I haven't read um, any Stephen King books or anything like that at this point, I'm like I have to sit down and I have to make a list, and I'm going to read these books over the course of a summer and I think I maybe got three books in before between kids and life and other stuff. I was just like, no, I don't have the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I think, I think I need to check out your book and, and go take a look and see uh, you know what I can get myself caught up in. Cause I know several of the, of the books that you mentioned are ones that I've taught over the years. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm good with those. I, I don't need to be convinced that I need to pick those up. Cause I, I know they're amazing, but there are several that I know that I, I have missed in my uh, in my career as an English teacher. I'm like, I just, I can't, I can't in good conscience call myself an English teacher and not have read some of these books.
0: Yeah, yeah, I understand. Like I I I think your you and, and your all too common conundrum was was exactly whom I wrote that book for. Yeah. Um thank it Practical Classics and Brat Pack America the love letter to 80s teen movie are, are both available. Um are both available at uh, at a fine book retailer or uh, in person or online near you
1: and chicago is a, another place that has some great bookstores so
0: oh, god so. it sure does it sure does the, the the amount of the amount of time and fortune i have gladly surrendered at places like at places like open books and myopic and women and children first and mm-hmm. and and uh jesus um i could just go on and on and on like uh yeah great bookstores in chicago
1: yep. oh yeah mm-hmm. All right. Well, so your books are available there. Uh, Where can people typically find you online?
0: Oh, uh, kevinsmokler.com. That's S-M-O-K-L-E-R. And uh, uh, Twitter, uh, Weegee, W-E-E-G-E-E. That's where I spend most of my social media time.
1: Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Say, thank you again so much for being on the show. Um, and uh, it was just a pleasure to get to talk to you for a little bit. And uh, hopefully maybe as we go through some of the nineties, we can get you back on and, and uh, talk through some nineties stuff as well. And I, as soon as one of your next books comes out, then get you on and talk about that one as well. Cause I, I guarantee I'm going to go find it because <laughs> I I have determined that I am your demographic. So <laughs>
0: Well, I'd enjoy that very much. And and thank you for inviting me, John.
1: Absolutely. So if anybody else wants to go find uh, more about our show, go to 30podcast.com. That's 30podcast.com. That's got all the different ways you can find us. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Our voicemail line is there if you want to call in and leave a message. Uh, We'll play it on the show and respond to it. Our next episode's coming up. We've got some great movies coming up. If you want to get ahead of the game, we have our next episode finishes off our month of sports movies. Um, It is the Rutger Hauer movie, The Blood of Heroes. So that one is coming up next. That'll be uh, just probably in a few short days after this episode is posted up. And then uh, we go into our uh, month of March. And in March we are taking a look at Glory. Then for the next couple weeks after that, we're in Tom Hanks mode. We've got The Burbs and Turner and Hooch. Then we finish off the month with The War of the Roses. And at some point in there, I know my daughter is dying to go see Captain Marvel when it comes out. So I know it's not an 80s movie, but we're going to go see Captain Marvel. And I guarantee we will do a podcast on that one once it comes out. So if you are wanting to kind of catch some of these movies ahead of time before you listen to the show, that's what we got coming up. Blood of Heroes, Glory, The Burbs, Turner and Hooch, War of the Roses. Kevin, is is there any one of those as you hear that list? Are there any one of those that you're like that one?
0: Uh, Glory is one of my favorite movies of all time.
1: Okay, okay. We used to. Sh- I know we used to show kind of an edited version here at the middle school when we'd have the kids uh, kind of going through the Civil War mm-hmm. uh, period. So it's one I've seen. Haven't seen in a few years, but it's it's one I've seen many, many, many times. And yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to talking about that one. Absolutely. Again, Kevin, thank you so much for being with us. Um, And I will sign off as I always do and and say, uh, everybody out there, we will see you back here next time. Be excellent to each other and go watch some good movies.